Uh, if you have your Bibles and you, if you haven't already, please turn in them to 2 Peter. We are continuing in our exegetical journey through this short letter, which is our, our summer, summer sermon series this morning. And we're going to do that by, by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So let's read this together. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with, brother, with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning to our hearts and to our souls and for the glory of the risen Christ. Friends, many of you know that I, I like to exercise a fair amount in my life. And, and if you've ever been to my house, if you've ever been into my garage, you would quickly notice uh, that I have a very nice home gym. I have over 2,500 pounds of dumbbells and of weight plates I have multiple racks, I have multiple benches, I have a cable machine, I have all kinds of bars. It's a lot of equipment in my garage. I actually went out this week to calculate it, and if you were to buy all that equipment, if you were to buy it brand new at the store, it would be about $10,000 worth of equipment in my garage. I did not pay $10,000 for all that equipment in my garage. I probably paid about four to $500. And how, you say, how did you spend so little? Well, I found it all on Craigslist. Many years of searching on Craigslist. People, did you know that there are thousands of dollars of equipment just sitting unused in people's basements all around us? I have literally found complete dumbbell sets worth hundreds of dollars that were probably 10 years old, but were still in their original boxes. It's crazy. And the story when I go to pick up the equipment is always the same. The people selling the equipment always say something like, yeah, I got this as a gift from my parents and I was really excited about it at first, but then I never used it, not, not even once. They always say something like, I really, really wanted this stuff, but then I didn't want to put in the effort to benefit from it. And, and whenever I hear that, the question always comes to my mind. 
If you receive a gift from someone that is intended for a very specific purpose, but you never choose to make the effort to use it for that purpose, have you really received that gift at all? If someone gives you a gift with an intended purpose, but all you ever do with that gift is say thank you for it and then never really use it as they intended you to, have you really received that gift as they wanted you to? You could be given a a weight rack for Christmas, but to go and use it for a clothes rack down in your basement, as many do, raises the question, do you really understand the gift? Your full understanding of the gift is either confirmed or not confirmed by how, what effort you put into benefiting from it. And folks, Peter tells us in our passage this morning that the same is true of our understanding of the gift of God's grace and the power of the gospel in our lives. Church, Peter wants us to enjoy the gift of God's grace most fully in our lives. He wants us to be able to enjoy the gift of gospel assurance and gospel confidence that we are truly saved, that we are truly a part of God's people. That's what Peter wants for us. And he knows that that sort of assurance, that sort of confidence comes from both a right understanding of God's grace and power and a right practice of God's grace and power. Peter knows that that it is in this combination of both receiving the grace and then seeking to live out the grace that we as, as weak and frail Christians can actually have great confidence that we are indeed redeemed by the grace of God and part of his family. Folks, the main idea this morning is this. Joy-filled assurance or another word for that is confidence. Joy-filled confidence about your salvation comes from the gift of God's power and your effort to exercise that power. Let me say that again. Joy-filled assurance about your salvation comes from the gift of God's power and your effort to exercise that power. And to understand this biblical idea more more fully this morning, we we have four points to consider together. Point number one, we have the gift of God's power. Point number two, this power comes through knowledge. Point number three, this knowledge leads to effort. And point number four, this effort confirms our calling. Let's look at these one at a time. Beginning with the first point, number one, we have the gift of God's power. Church, as this is a passage in the New Testament that talks a lot about our effort, our work, what we do for God, as as that's what this passage is all about, it is essential that we begin with this first point, with the remarkable gift of God's grace and power in our lives through the gospel. And listen, Peter refuses to let us start in any other place than this. He just continues to to, to hit this drumbeat of the power of God's grace through the gospel. Peter attributes everything to God. Look at verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's been granted to us. It's a a gift. It's, It's God's grace. And once again, we see this morning that this is the hub of the wheel. This is the center of all that we are and all that we are called to do. The gospel is always center. But now, 
it's important to see the flow of what Peter is saying here. If, if the Christian's life is a wheel of God's grace and power for the sake of ministry and for the sake of God's glory, the gospel is absolutely central. It is the hub of the wheel. Nothing else can be the hub of the wheel. But Peter is about to put a spoke in the wheel. He's about to talk about your holiness. He's about to talk about your pursuit of godliness and Christ-likeness. He's about to talk about your, your obedience to the commands of God. He's about to talk about how you live as Christians in this fallen world. But this spoke of how we live, our obedience and our godliness, which is so essential to our Christian life, this spoke of the wheel only comes about because of the connection to the gospel, because of the connection to the divine power of God, because he, the living God, has enabled us to do everything that we are supposed to do as Christians. And church, you know this, this is so essential to us actually making any effort for God with our lives. We simply can't do it on our own, can we? We, we can't make any effort, let alone, as verse 5 says, every effort to live for God. If, if God himself does not enable us to, this, to do this, we cannot do it. We can try, but a spoke is worthless if it's not connected to the, to the hub of the wheel. And what we see here is that through the gospel, the gospel of grace, through the divine plan of redemption, the God of this universe has not only enabled us to, to make some effort, church, but to make every effort. Because his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Folks, there's, there's a lot of hope in that. There's a lot of joy and strength and good for us in this truth. Peter says that God has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not, not most things. Not, not almost all things. He says all things. Church, have you, ever, have you ever been helped by someone almost all the way only to have them kind of leave you right at the last minute? That's, that's not a good experience when you left kind of all by yourself to finish a project. I remember when we moved down to Delaware from Pennsylvania, we had this really, really long moving day. And at about 10 p.m. at night, when we finally had the last truckload of, of belongings in our new driveway, and we still had the faithful friends around us to help us unload, we were almost done. And then we realized that the key to open up the truck was all the way back in Pennsylvania. We were almost over the line. We were almost finished, almost able to rest. And then it all got torn apart. Folks, that is not the way that Peter describes our lives in Christ. Now, he doesn't say that God has granted to us almost everything that we need to get to the end. And then you need to go and find that secret key somewhere to really finish the job. Now, he's given us everything that we need for a lifetime of godliness and obedience until the final day. So listen, Christian, no matter how weak you feel this morning, whether you're in this room or maybe you're at home watching online, no matter how weak you feel, no matter how much you feel like your energy is running out in your Christian life, Peter reminds us that God has already given you everything that you need for life and godliness through the gospel. Christian, this is absolutely and eternally true of you this morning. It cannot be changed. 
But maybe, maybe you're wondering how you can experience more of this power. Okay, he's, he's enabled us for all things, but how do we access that power that is available to us in Christ? And that, that brings us to our second point. Point number two, this power comes through knowledge. I believe that it was Thomas Jefferson that coined the phrase, knowledge is power. And church, we see here that that is nowhere more true than in the Christian life. Look at verse 3 again with me. Peter has already stated that he has, that God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But now look at the very next phrase. It says that he has granted this to us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, so the logical flow is that we have all things that we need for life and godliness available to us through or, or by or according to the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And we, we saw this together just last week, didn't we? Power to live for God comes through greater knowledge of God. J.I. Packer reminded us that there is no greater practice in all of life than to study who our great God is. That's true. Knowledge of him leads to power for life. But now, does Peter have a specific type of knowledge about God in mind here? Well, in the context, it seems to be that Peter is saying that we are given divine power for, for real life and for real godliness through the knowledge of him, specifically knowledge of his glory and excellence, which is most clearly seen through the gospel in which, as we see in the very next verse, verse 4, is supposed to lead us somewhere. It's supposed to lead us towards becoming partakers of the divine nature. Knowledge of God, knowledge of how he has promised to bring us home to heaven, to participate in his great glory, this knowledge is supposed to strengthen us in this life. That seems to be what this verse is saying. In the, in the context of the letter, this is a letter in which Peter addresses false teaching, specifically false teaching that ignores the second coming of Christ, that, that ignores the, the hope of heaven. And so this seems to be the knowledge that Peter is speaking most specifically of, knowledge of God and his promise to get us to heaven all the way. And church, when I think about that, I immediately think of how Jesus himself did exactly this thing for Peter himself. See, in this text, Peter is giving us knowledge of God and of heaven, but in the same way that Jesus did for him. Back in John chapter 14, when, when Peter and the rest of the disciples are, are very fearful, they're very troubled in heart about their circumstances, Jesus is about to return to heaven. And so the disciples are saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to live faithfully in this world without Christ right before us? And so what does Christ do for them in that moment? Well, first of all, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And then he gives them knowledge. He gives them knowledge of, of God the Father and of God's plan to bring them to heaven, of how a house is being prepared for them as his disciples. He Jesus fills the mind of the disciple with truth about where they are going and how God the Father has a plan and a place for them and how the Holy Spirit is going to enable them to get there. That's what Jesus himself did for the disciples. He wants them to have greater knowledge so that that knowledge of heaven and that knowledge of how God is committed to them can strengthen them 
and and help them and, and comfort them. Knowledge leads to power. Folks, just, just consider the effect that that knowledge had on the disciples, on all of them. But let's just consider Peter himself, who was a very fearful and, and proud man. He was forever changed by these great and precious promises of God. He, he clung to these promises. He lived boldly from the knowledge of these promises. He ended up giving his very life and being martyred because of his confidence in these promises from Christ. That's amazing. And Christian, the same can be true of you and of me this morning. Knowledge of, of God and the, and the hope of heaven, it, it can lead to real change in real life. And so the call here is to fill our minds with truth about God. and To fill our minds with his promises for real life. Christian, when this world shouts hopelessness into your life, when media shouts hopelessness into your life, turn your eyes and open your ears to the sight and sound of heaven and be strengthened. The effect will be profound. Knowledge of God and of heaven changes the way that we live here on earth. It, it increases your, our ability to make every effort to live for him here and now. It's, it's just like we said last week. It's, it's the difference between living defeated or living victorious. As Christians, we don't start our day from behind. We start it from ahead because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. And that victory, that advantage is supposed to propel us onward for the glory of God. It's supposed to cause us to live boldly for God. And church, that brings us to our third point, point number three. This knowledge leads to effort. So Peter continues in, in verse five. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and, and brotherly love and self-control. He says, because you have eternal security in the precious and very great promises of God, for this reason, because of that assurance, you can now work hard to live as you are called to live. But church, the order of these things matters, right? We have to get the order right. Faith, which is a gift, comes first. Obedience, which is only possible because of the gift of faith, comes second. This is why Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Church, we, we do not establish, we do not create our faith through our effort. No, we, we supplement it. In other words, your obedience to God today does not earn your salvation before God, but your obedience before God is the confirmation that you really do have faith in God. Your obedience, in a sense, comes alongside of your faith in God and says, look, I have truly received this gift. I've, I've truly received the gift of God's grace because it's not just collecting dust in the basement of my life. It's actually making a real difference. P Peter's basically saying, because you have received this divine power, now get to work. Now live it out. Now demonstrate how powerful this grace really is in real life and in real circumstances and in real trials. Exercise it in your life. Do more reps. Bench more weight. Work hard for the glory of God and for your good. And Peter helpfully 
doesn't say it broadly. He gets super practical. Look at verses 5 to 7. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and self-control, and steadfastness, and godliness, and love. They just keep piling on top of each other. I don't think that there's necessarily an intentional order to these virtues, but I do think that this list is intentionally very practical from Peter. Peter is pastoring us. He knows where we live. He knows the struggles that we face. He knows the temptations that we feel. He knows that we are tempted to, to blend into the culture around us, and so he exhorts us to have virtue. That word Virtue simply means to to live a a wise and orderly life. Christian, there should be something attractive, something virtuous, something noticeably different about how we live lives as compared to the world. Peter commands us towards self-control. That word means to not be controlled by your fleshly passions, but rather to control your fleshly passions by God's grace. Very interestingly, The idea of self-control really is a foundational Christian attribute. It's supposed to characterize who we are. In Acts chapter 24, it says that, that Paul reasoned and defended the Christian faith before Felix by discussing righteousness and self-control. It it seems very much like self-control is supposed to be a, a hallmark of what it means to be a Christian. Because we can only control our passions when God's divine power is at work within us. And so when we do, we are clearly distinct from the world who does not have that same power. And so Christian, brother and sister, how are you doing in the area of self-control? How are you doing, by God's grace, at controlling your passions? Or are your passions controlling you? Peter, Peter tells us to make every effort towards steadfastness. Steadfastness means to remain faithful to your calling even when it's really hard. And church, this call, this call to work hard towards steadfastness, this, this should be an encouragement to us. It at least was to me this week. Why? Well, because there would not be a call for steadfastness here if the Christian life was supposed to be easy or if, or if you were able to attain perfect holiness and godliness before heaven. That, that's just not going to happen. And so the very fact that we are exhorted to be steadfast should help us to be steadfast because it reminds us that our struggles and our many weaknesses and our many trials are not the end of the story. Christian, you can persist through your imperfections because the perfection of heaven awaits you. You can persist through all of your weakness, all your temptations, all your struggles, all your failures because the perfection of heaven awaits you. And then Peter goes on and tells us to to make every effort towards godliness and to to brotherly affection and and to love, reminding us that we are to be reflections of who God is in all of life and that we're to do it together. We, We are family, church, and we are to have affection for one another, and we are to make every effort to cultivate that affection. This list of virtues covers a wide range of areas. Peter is saying that because of God's divine power, our lives are to look significantly different in every area of life. And that we should make every effort to make that so. One commentator said it this way. He said, believers, Christians, must be lavish in the time and effort they put into developing their Christian lives. 
Not being satisfied with getting by on the minimum, but striving forward to achieve the finest and most attractive production possible. I love that. The Christian is duty-bound, or rather love-bound, to offer the world the best possible advertisement of what God's grace can do. That's who we're supposed to be. We are to be lavish in our time and effort to live godly lives. We should work hard to put the power of God's grace on display through living a godly life. Church, the work of holiness and obedience, the pursuit of Christ-likeness, it's hard. But it's not an option. It's fundamental to who we are. And it confirms that we are truly recipients of God's gift of grace and power, which brings us to our fourth and to our final point this morning. Point number four, this effort confirms your calling. So we began this morning by, by, by questioning if someone has truly received a gift, if they fail to use that gift as it was intended to be used. And we talked about all of the unused exercise equipment in people's basement. But maybe you're not into to exercise. And so let's, let's change the imagery a little bit this morning. If you're getting ready to go on a vacation with your extended family in, in the Outer Banks and you're really, really, really excited about it, it's been too long in coming and you're, you're ready to go, you're, 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 you're looking forward to it in every way, but then the week before you leave, your car breaks down and you have no way to actually get to the Outer Banks and you have no money to fix your car, it, it looks like your hopes of a vacation are being destroyed, but suddenly you get a call from your father who says that he wants you to be there so badly that he is going to buy you a brand new car and it's actually on its way to your house right then. And you're blown away by it. You're super grateful for it and you thank him profusely for what he has done on your behalf. What a gift! But when the day actually comes to drive to the Outer Banks, you get up, you pack your bags and your luggage, you grab your keys, you walk outside, and you grab a lawn chair and sit in the driveway and just stare at the car. Friends, I know that's a ludicrous story. Would that make sense? If we never even get in the car, never even turn over the engine to experience its power, and we just sit there and say, wow, what a nice gift I have been given. That's crazy. Church, that's what Peter is warning us away from. He doesn't want us to just observe the divine power of God. He doesn't want us just to talk about the, his precious and very great promises. He doesn't want us to just sing about heaven, but then never actually get into the car, never turn the key, never put it into drive, and never hit the gas, and never move forward. Our effort, getting into his grace, experiencing his power, and living for him, it confirms that we have truly received the gift of God's grace. Look at verse 9. It tells us this. It says, for whoever lacks these qualities, for whoever is, is not making this effort, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
And so, friends, our effort confirms our calling. Joy-filled assurance and confidence about your salvation comes from the gift of God's power and your effort to exercise that power in all of life. This is the calling on our lives. And church, this is so good. This is so important for us as a church family because too many Christians lack gospel confidence and assurance. They don't know whether they are truly saved Not because they're not truly saved, but because they have become so lethargic in their application of God's grace that they don't see its power in their lives and therefore they lack the confidence and the assurance that God so desires them to have. Making effort to be godly, it can seem so legalistic. It's like rule following. It seems so contrary to God's grace and to the gospel. But when it comes from a right knowledge of God's grace and the gospel... Effort actually leads to greater peace and greater joy and greater confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who has saved us. And as we apply his grace and power to our lives, Peter says that we will never fall. We will endure, he says. We will keep going. Heaven is open to us. Church, we have been given power. That power comes through knowledge. That knowledge leads to effort, and that effort confirms our calling. Now, as we close, what does this mean for us practically? Well, I want, I want to end in, in two ways. Church, I want, to, I want to declare comfort and hope over you as we close, and I want to boldly exhort us all to follow Peter's call in this passage. But first of all, comfort. Church, like we saw last week, it is important to see that it is God's clear design, according to verse 2, that grace and peace be multiplied in us. Peter's not trying to create anxious, fearful, condemned Christians. No, he's trying to instill glorious confidence and peace into us by having us see and accept our holy calling and to pursue it by God's grace. I think that many of us, can read verses like this and want to give up before we even begin. And we can feel like we are only failing in life. But I love, church, I love the focus of this text. It's actually not on us at all. It's on God's divine power. And that Peter says in verse 8 that these, these virtues are going to increase in us, meaning that none of us have arrived, none of us are perfect yet, we all still need growth Confirmation of your calling does not come from having a perfect success story against your sin. Church, God loves you not because of your own goodness, not because your own effort, but because of the goodness and the effort of his son Jesus on your behalf. Confirmation of your calling comes when you desire to grow and you take faithful, oftentimes really small, but faithful and diligent steps to grow, to exercise the power that has been given to you. Take comfort in that, church. Second of all, I want to exhort us to to live this out. Listen, if if you're an athlete and, and you want to make every effort to excel in your sport, maybe you're a runner, maybe you're a biker, maybe you swim. If you want to excel, what, what do you do? Well, you make every effort. And, and part of making every effort is to get help from others, right? You might get a private coach to, to help you to progress in your workouts. You might think about how to work harder or to, to do more and more frequently. If you want to advance in your career, 
What do you, what do you often do? Well, you often pull a, a co-worker or a manager aside or you take them out for lunch and you say, hey, do you have any feedback for me? How can I, how can I grow in this area? How can I do a better job at, at my work? If you want to lose weight, you, you create a plan. You, you journal about that plan. You track your progress in that plan. You share that plan with others. Folks, if these are the things that we do in other areas of life, why would we not do that and be just as intentional in our Christian lives? Why wouldn't we find someone to, to help coach us? The biblical word for that is discipleship. Why wouldn't we find somebody farther along in the road of godliness and say, hey, can you help me love Jesus more than I currently do? Why wouldn't we get coffee with that church member and humbly ask them how they think we can grow in our Christian walk? What, what areas of sin do you see in me that I can be working on? Why, why wouldn't we create a practical plan and journal about it and ask people to hold us accountable to it? That's what it is to make every effort, and we do it in all other areas of life. Why not in our walk with Christ as well? By God's grace, church, let's be a church that works hard to display the power of his grace in our lives. Paul the Apostle appeals to us in Romans chapter 12 to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. He says that this is, is spiritual worship. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise with ourselves. Christian, there should be, by God's grace, no greater ambition for our lives than to conform our lives to the image of the Son. And there should be nothing that, that receives greater time and energy and prayerful attention than this. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. What area of your life should be more virtuous for you? Young parents, maybe it's, it's finding older parents and saying, hey, can you disciple us through these crazy years of, of raising young kids? We want our home to be more orderly than it currently is. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with, with knowledge. Christian, what's your reading plan for the next six months? What, what theology books are you going to read this year? How can you be a, a catalyst for growth in, in knowledge within your fellowship group and among your group of friends? Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with brotherly affection and love. I love that, first of all, because it reminds us of how we are family. But I also love that because it reminds us that brotherly affection and love is not always easy. It takes work. When was the last time that you did the really difficult work of making an effort to love that person who offended you or that you don't respect any longer? When, when was the last time that you even sought to show them affection because of who you both are in Christ? Or if the situation's so bad, when was the last time that you made every effort to get a third person involved to help you both be reconciled? Church, all of this is not bondage. This is freedom. Because as we make every effort, we grow in joyful confidence that God's grace is truly at work in us. And we say with Paul that this is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God. And that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We can have joy-filled confidence about our salvation when we receive the gift of God's power and make every effort to exercise that power by God's grace and for his glory. May we labor for holiness together.